everybody, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Liquid Courage podcast. My name's Laura, and today I'm joined by Troy, Chris, who's better known as Jeffers, and then Daniel, who's better known as Disbelieving Jesus. How's it going? Great. Good. Going well. Uh, Troy, do you have a nickname that I don't know about? No, no, Troy is just fine. I don't really need a nickname like these two. Oh, you know, my nickname in uh, college was Mike. There's some people on this planet that only know me as Mike. <laughs> that sounds like a whole podcast. There's <laughs> a fun fact about me. So I'm just going to give a little intro as to what Liquid Courage is. Uh, this is a highly opinionated wine podcast by Somaliers for Somaliers, uh, which means that we might be using industry terminology and not always stopping to define it. The purpose of what we're doing is to explore ideas that are hopefully thought-provoking uh, for other industry professionals. That's, uh, that's about it. Um, with that said, I guess I'll introduce today's topic. So um, I'm, I'm Gen Z, which means that I spend a lot of my time on the internet, uh, on my entertainment, my news. Um, and part of that is that I'm bombarded with online ads. And there's one in particular that I see incessantly, and it's for a service called Bright Sellers. And so these girls that are my age will flash onto my screen and they'll just be spitting rosé back into their wine glasses. And it'll say something like, never met a wine that you liked? Uh, take our seven question quiz and we'll pick out the perfect wine for you. And uh, after like the millionth time of seeing that, I was, uh, I was intrigued. <laughs> so I thought that it would be interesting if I got four psalms together in a room to take this quiz. Um, one, to see if the service is legitimate, but also it kind of opens up a Pandora's box of, of questions, right? So uh, can you determine someone's wine taste in seven questions? Can you determine someone's wine taste by asking them non-wine related questions? Um you know, as Psalms, will we be able to crack the algorithm in in a way um, and predict what wines they'll they'll select for us? So I'm really interested. Uh, what are y'all's initial thoughts? Uh, are you excited? Are you skeptical? Uh, do you hate that I'm making you take this quiz? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I think it's a, definitely a cool idea. I'm interested to see how it pans out as far as the suggestions that are given, but uh, definitely, definitely a cool idea, at least. Yeah, I'm, I'm highly skeptical. I don't think it's going to be a train wreck, but I think it's going to be one of those accidents on the side of the road where you just can't pull your eyes away from it. It's so bad, but you're going to keep watching anyway. I just love the idea of having a different way of talking about wine. I don't know if this is going to be the one that, changes people's minds, but I'd love to have a way for people to talk about wine that don't have vocabulary, like what we consider to be, you know, traditional, authentic wine vocabulary. Right. I, I think that I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, I'm trying to kind of remain optimistic, you know, since I, I haven't taken it, but the more that I kind of look into the company, the more concerns I have and, you know, uh, I'm I'm skeptically optimistic. I think I'm just going to leave it at that. I so yeah, well I'd be interested in hearing what those concerns are from everybody obviously. Um we'll probably hash into that I'm imagining. Yeah, I mean I'll, I'll give you my concerns right off the bat. I'm I'm worried that I'm going to get into the quiz and it's going to be a bunch of like branded shit 
like, do you like Lay's better than Cheetos? And that's that tells me that the company is just data farming and they're being paid by, I don't know, Frito-Lay to have their shit in the quiz and it's got nothing to do with wine. I think that's my biggest fear. Do <laughs> you think Yom Brands is getting into wine? That's hilarious. I, I wouldn't... Uh, all right, I'd be interested to see. I, I'm more like optimistic. I feel like there's some a sort of entrepreneurial driven person who may not have all the information, but they're, you know, just giving it their best shot. And this is just kind of like a, an idea that came, you know, they came across and they're pursuing it. I'm like positive about it, but let's see what happens. Yeah. So um, just to set the stage for everyone, they have a mission statement on their website and it says our mission is to inspire and educate a new generation of wine lovers by delivering a transformative, personalized wine experience. Oh, I think it's going to be transformative. Oh my God, here we go. <laughs> Do they have a chief thesaurus officer? It looks like it's founded by two graduates from MIT who have a background in technology and business. All right. Um, let's just take the quiz. Let's just take it. Let's do it. I'll read the first question. So, all right. What is the one type of chocolate you could eat for the rest of your life? And my options are dark chocolate, milk chocolate, white chocolate, Reese's cup, Snickers, or where's the fruit candy? See, there's already branded shit in here. Yeah. Um, well, I'm already like, where does Reese's cup come into play? You know, that's the Dude, first Dude, I love I Reese's of. cup. I'd whack back a few of those. No, I'm, I'm going to choose Reese's Cup. I just don't know how that applies. You know, maybe my theory is not quite where it needs to be. No, you're clearly not a, uh, a student of MIT is all that's saying. <laughs> oh, my God. Not sharp enough. <laughs> is, this, is this a question about bitterness? Ooh. I think it's also about uh, preference for sugar. If any of you pick white chocolate, you're out of the group. Oh, sh shit. I already clicked it. Can I go back? I love white chocolate. You'll get a consolation prize of a bottle of shitty Viognier. <laughs> <laughs> they actually do that. Did you read in their mission statement? Um, what are you choosing, Laura? Um, okay, I, I think I'm going to choose fruit candy because if it's a question of, of richness, I think I like lighter wines, right? So something that maybe has more acidity, doesn't have as much bitterness. Although I love Reese's Cups. <laughs> Yeah, Reese's sticks are kind of my go-to if, if I'm in the candy aisle and you got a gun to my head saying you got to pick something. So if, if I'm going to be honest about this test and not try to game it where, where I think the wine is going, uh, I think that's the fairest way to assess this from our perspective. Uh, I think you're right. Okay, then I'm probably going to go Reese's Cups too. I love peanut butter. I'll follow you down that path. Mm, this I'm already I see I'm starting to have you know thoughts about this which is like how does your taste in chocolate necessarily translate to your taste in wine like they I, yeah I don't know this is kind of already confusing me the, the problem that I see with the first question is you know we mentioned a bunch of chocolate and then the last one was hey where's the the fruit snacks or the gummy snacks or what have you I feel like it's asking you do you want red wine or do you not want red wine you know one out of six is your option why does chocolate equate to red wine? Well, I feel like the, yeah, I mean, your chocolate, coffee, mocha, I mean, you're, you're talking about a lot of oak potentially. So 
it's it's one of those things where you know you might have a few oaked whites that kind of come into the mix or some white blends you know i have a feeling that these wines are going to be bottom of the barrel mass production labels that you don't recognize that's where i feel like this model is kind of gravitating towards you're not going to land on a bottle of prisoner at the end of this if if that's the the goal to sell branded wine yeah. Are you saying that you can tell something about someone's wine taste by asking them a question about chocolate? I think that's what they're inferring. Okay, but do you believe that? Because before the show, Troy was saying that he doesn't think you can determine anything about someone's wine taste by asking them non-wine questions. Yeah, I think it's bullshit. Anyways, well, uh, we'll we can get to that after the quiz. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to read the next question? Yeah, sure. So uh, next question, after we've all answered our chocolate or non-chocolate answer, uh, is how do you like your tea? First option is iced and sweet. Second option is iced with no sugar, followed by hot with sugar. Another option is Arnold Palmer with lemonade. I don't know what an Arnold Palmer would be without lemonade. I guess if you replace it with vodka, it could be a John Daly. Um, you also have uh, brewed strong. And then no tea, no tea. So I feel like this one might be, you know, your bitterness slash sugar. It's definitely a sugar question. Um, I definitely. So then, but, but then what's the difference between iced with no sugar and brewed with no sugar? You just like it cold. I mean, that's how I drink mine. So what is that trying to infer about my wine taste? Right. And that's a good question. I like my, I like, a, I don't know cooked matterized wines well it, it could be that it's more evocative of a feeling like do you want a wine that's refreshing and cool or do you want one that's kind of curl up in a blanket and sip i mean i don't think all of these questions are necessarily about a specific taste profile i think they're more evocative Look and at i think this. from a marketing perspective it, it's more about the emotion of the person trying to buy trying to take the quiz than it is about pure science because you can't ask someone to take a quiz and then bash them over the head with the fact that it's just science. Yeah. I'm going iced with no sugar. I, you know, I get actually ridiculed for drinking plain black tea. I, I can't stand tea at all. So I'm going with the, uh, the no tea. Why don't you like tea? Tea to me just tastes like dirty ass water. I mean, literally all it is, is is just a bunch of herbs that you you forged, you know, in your backyard or wherever you might be in the world, and you allow it to steep, and then it just gets bitter. It's just a terrible beverage to me. So no Vermentino for you, then? Yeah, that's correct. Unless it's in, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a hard no, Jeffers. Okay. Jeffers, what are you picking? Uh, I picked dark chocolate first, and then I picked the iced no sugar. And I'm on to question three, which is, what's your go-to drink when you're out of wine? And the options are margarita, beer, martini, common dry, whiskey scotch, which is not two categories, but one, and mimosa. As MIT guys, they really know their beverages. Well, I mean, at the level of people that are taking this quiz, do you want to split that hair? Not at all. If I, you know, yeah, it, it, I think the type of person this is marketing too is you know as you were talking about uh, the evocative emotion sort of thing I, I think that it's just sort of fun you know if you don't have to think too much about it oh what do i like beer margarita and uh then it pitches them a wine and they buy it i don't think it's a yeah i'm starting to get a feel for this 
So um, I'll ask all of you a question that we kind of talked about earlier, and I will disclose that I took this quiz already. I took it before the podcast. But so what is the difference between mimosa and margarita in terms of either a science or a feeling? Acid. And maybe effervescence. Right? I mean, a margarita's got more acidity. Does it, though? Yeah. I mean, for, does lime juice have more acidity than orange juice? Yes. Absolutely. But they're both acidic drinks. I mean, I think the science is, is down to texture. Well, and then you add the fact that if it's made with a dry, sparkling wine, it's going to have even more. I, I actually, when I was talking about this, was thinking that the difference might be alcohol content, right? A margarita is a much more alcohol-forward drink than a mimosa. And it's kind of what your tolerance is for the heat of a wine or the alcohol of a wine. So then, Jeffers, try lateraling that with, you know, your, your whiskey versus martini option. What, what do you think the difference is there? Uh, probably smokiness, I would guess. Complexity. Intensity and complexity of flavor. Well, and I think whether you have a tolerance for things that are barrel aged or not, right? I don't want to spoil it, but I think there is a wine that you can so you're get saying to. Oak. Yes, but without saying specifically oak. I mean, I don't think the level of the person taking this quiz is going to equate what whiskey tastes like with the necessarily that it's oak. They just have this, oh, I don't like things that are smoky or. Yes, it, yes, we would say oak, but I'm not sure that that's what everyone would say. Totally, totally. I have no idea what I'm going to pick. Uh, I need a Negroni. That's what I really want. Yeah, there was a big gaping hole in spot number six here. They could have put another drink here, like sweet vermouth. Uh, uh, I guess I'm going to go beer. Give me a damn beer. Daniel, what are you picking? Um, I, I, I would choose beer. Like, that's my go-to drink. But, like... Should, like I feel like one of us should be sort of gaming this so that we don't end up all with the same suggestions. You know what I mean? Daniel, I don't know how many times I have to tell you, Pabst Blue Ribbon is not beer, buddy. <laughs> I don't know why White Claw isn't an option because that actually is my go-to. You're, you have the audacity of saying that to a Psalm podcast? <laughs> all right, Daniel, you, you want to read the next question? I'm, I'm clicking dry martini <laughs> just to keep it different. Oh, I keep forgetting to ask you what you're picking. <laughs> Jeffers, are you choosing answers that are different than the ones you took before this started uh yes okay good all right so next question is what is your favorite juice the options are orange grapefruit grape tomato cranberry and the final question is is coffee juice which is a good question is coffee juice what do you guys think it is the juice of a fruit. Sure, let's say yes. I need at least one of you, if you think you're going to have any chance of getting prisoner at the end of this, you need to choose grape as your favorite juice. Ew. But I chose cranberry. Uh, I'm doubling down on cranberry. Nice work, Jeffers. Ew, do you like cranberry juice? I'm not a juice person. Are you going with coffee then, Laura? I think I might have to go with orange. I don't know if I think coffee is juice. Would you choose coffee over all of these other things? Yeah, I okay. No, I think I think fresh squeeze. I'm gonna sound like a total douche. I think fresh squeeze orange juice. I might take over a cup of coffee. So, OJ. Yeah, that definitely sounded douchey. <laughs> you can you can edit out your own douchiness later. Just keep mine in. Cancel culture. <laughs> yeah, I'm deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> the, what's even more concerning is the 
amount of difficulty I'm I'm faced with right now. I don't know what to choose. Paralysis by analysis, huh, bud? Yeah, there's too many options here. They should give me like two. Uh, I I'm gonna say I'm just gonna do grapefruit because it's a treat whenever I have it. Who says grapefruit is a treat? White chocolate and grapefruit juice. <laughs> I have a feeling I know exactly what it's going to pitch me now, regardless of everything. All right. We're back to me. Uh, what is your favorite wine pairing? My options are a fine dinner, a summer day at the beach, a good book, your group of close friends, or a wild party. Huh. Well, definitely not a book. I don't think my other answers are compatible with anything except for a fine dinner or a group of close friends. So I'm choosing a fine dinner. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm definitely throwing down on a group of close friends. Not a wild party? I thought of all of us, you would pick that one. No, I, I've, I've got my AARP card. I don't know what a wild party is anymore. I'm going fine dinner. This is an impossible question again. I'll do a group of close friends. What are you trying to figure out, you know, by asking where do you like to drink wine? I mean, sometimes the wine I'm drinking at dinner is the same wine I'm drinking on the beach. Do no. You, do you think maybe it's like they're just asking questions to make the person feel as if they're being paid attention to, and then they're just going to pitch you whatever wines they want them to buy anyways? But it's at least getting some input from them so that they feel like they're a sort of participant in their experience. And I bet you there's some study from MIT that, that, uh, that shows that people are more likely to buy if you give them a little survey before. I wonder. I love that insight. Well, you know, w whether it's it's academically accurate as far as our correlation to, you know, flavor, structure, et cetera, uh, it is a fun thing to take as you kind of click through these these questions. Like I'm, I'm having fun doing it and kind of looking at the options because you're introspective on figuring out, you know, who am I? What do I actually like? And you're not thinking about the wine. If, if you're a novice in wine, you're not trying to play this game that we are like, where are we going to land on this thing? And it is, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, Daniel. If we, at the end of this, get all of the same wines, uh, awesome. that's going to suck. I will suck. subscribe. I'll be a part of their wine club for that. Cause I would laugh. Like, all right, you get my money. I think I want it to be based in like the science of taste. I feel like I just want it to be. I think it's very obviously not, though. Well, I, I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. Um, all right. So next question is, how adventurous are you with food and drink or with new food and drink? And then in parentheses, it states, you can change this later, which is interesting because that hasn't arisen since the, uh, the start of this. Um, so first answer is, I'm here to try delicious, unique wines. Surprise me. Next answer is, throw in the occasional fun one you think I'll love. And then the last one is no surprises, please. Do you think anyone that takes this quiz is going to write no surprises, please? Yeah, why did you click on the quiz? This is something I'd like to circle back to a little later in the podcast when we discuss some other topics uh, around this. But you're right. How many people, I wonder how many people as they collect this data are, are getting that no surprises. You know, I'm, I'm not an adventurous person. Right, this is an adventure in itself. So I pick surprises. I'm, I'm open for them, of course. Why don't we all choose a different one and see what happens? I'll go no surprises. I'll take the throw in an occasional fun one. 
You got to pick the middle option. All right. All right. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. Last question. Um, do you have a preference for red or white wines? Uh, so options are give me my best matches, red or white. Mostly white wines, but I'll try an interesting red. Mostly red wines, but I'll try an interesting white. Uh, last two options are red wines only or white wines only. Well, so my question is, is this question more or less redundant in that based on what you've chosen so far, haven't you already kind of steered your way towards red or white? Well, that was the thing I was going to bring up because this is what I pitched on the first question. I feel like they're going only for red and you only have one option for white. And then they point blankly ask you at the very end, what do you, what do you want from us? Because we have no idea. <laughs> um, but also, <laughs> you know, where's the, uh, you know, it, it throws our sparkling or our texture option out the window. It says nothing about sparkling wine. So there's our mimosa theory kind of out the window or any sort of texture beer um, that we were kind of surmising it could be asking. But it's, it's simply, there's no dessert wine. There's no sparkling wine. There's really only two options. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to do uh, give me my best match. Me too. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to go just because, I, as I mentioned, I took the quiz before. And I based on my responses before, I got more than 80% red responses. So I'm going to click whites only. God, I have to put my email in. I know. They're, now they're farming. I'm sorry, guys. You're going to have to sign up. It's totally worth it because you're going to get seven consecutive days of different marketing offers. God damn it. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I didn't realize. So on the eighth day, is that where they start pitching us on their their cars that they're going to be producing and figuring out whether we need to drive a Fiat or a a bicycle? Uh, I think that's when they just start sending you uh, Doritos and Yum Brands emails. Perfect. Oh, my God. I just saw my first match. (laughs) What is it? Mine, too. That's pretty wild, actually. Oh my God, Troy! Troy, do you have yours? Yeah, I'm. I'm in shock a little bit. Oh my God, maybe I shouldn't have said Reese's cup. Okay, my first wine is a Paso Robles Merlot. Oh, so you, you perfect. It hits you uh, huh. exactly what you normally drink. Is it? Is it Cactus Park? Uh, yeah. It's... Okay, that's the same as my first one. Oh shit! That's mildly different than mine. What's yours? Uh, strangely enough, 1975 Biondi Santi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a stupid bitch. I don't know how that got in there in the mix, but uh, <laughs> no, it's Cactus Park, actually. Is it? I actually have a different, no, I have a different wine than, oh, wow. yeah, as, as my, so I selected Reese's No Tea Beer, Cranberry Juice, uh, wine with close friends, and I'm open for surprises. Um, before I unveil my wine, what's interesting to me as I scroll through this, the first thing that caught my eye is they apply their own point system to all yeah, of their wines. Points. Their own point <laughs> system? <bright> points. <laughs> I mean, literally, it says 93 bright points, 92, 94, etc. So yeah, these yeah. are all 90 point plus wines, first of all. Um, but I have Lost City Malbec from uh, Mendoza. That's my number three. And uh, followed by a red blend called Folk and Fable. That's my number two also. And then uh, 
Crypsis, which is a red blend out of North Coast. So I feel like I kind of hit this a little earlier when I was saying these wines are going to be unrecognizable. They're mass blends made, you know, these wines, they honestly yeah. look like wines that are, you know, four ninety nine, maybe topping out at a grocery store uh, of like a Trader Joe's. Okay, so we all basically got the same list of wines. I will, if you look at the site, all under each, underneath each one, there's a don't like red blend and you can click on it um, and it'll give you an option to swap it out with something else. But if you click on it a second time, it'll basically say matching error. And so what I've deduced is that this is just kind of a giant game of Plinko and that no matter what you choose, you're going to end up in one of six or eight or whatever wines. Did anybody get white wine that popped up on their list? There's roughly, let's see, three. So there's six wines that they recommend as you Yeah, I it. have one called Wellfleet uh, Chardonnay. So I have Cactus Park Chardonnay, and then I also have a Riesling from Arroyo Seco. I have Wellfleet Chardonnay. I have the Riesling, and then I was recommended a North Coast Rosé. Do you guys, are you looking at the top of the screen where it says, we're holding your matches for five minutes and counting down? Oh my gosh. They're flying off the shelf, you guys. Yeah, like, you got to make your choice quick. I just can't help but feel like this is, you know, someone's creepy science experiment on how do we get a sale. Let's pressure them. Let's tell them, you know, let's guide their experience. Make it seem personal, but it's not. We all got the same suggestions for the most part. And then give them a time limit on, you know, they can only say yes within a six-minute window. Well, so just to follow up on what... Troy surmised that they're basically all non-wines or proprietary wines. So the things that I put into the chat window here are basically the web addresses of three of the different wines. So one of the things that they've done that's really kind of genius from a marketing perspective is that they've actually created a winery website for most of these wines. So you can go and visit it. Um, so I'm at Cactus Park Wines and view the Merlot. The interesting thing is all three of these websites that I posted in here, so it's the Cactus Park, the Folk and Fable, and the Wellfleet, they're exactly the same except for the font. So the masthead is the same, the bottom is the same, and if you look, you cannot buy the wines anywhere else. There are, uh, as I was searching, there are a couple wines that are locally distributed in like Illinois and New Jersey, um, and you can they have lists of places that you can buy them there but basically these are proprietary wines the the genius part is on the websites they're selling for $25 on bright sellers they're all sell for $20 so somebody went and did a shotgun buy 75 domain names from GoDaddy for the low low price of $59.99 and then they basically copy and pasted a bunch of HTML to make different websites for all these things so that you can go and see how good of a deal that you're getting. Um, but these wines are basically generated for this program. You know, I'm, I'm scrolling through their, uh, their team listed on the website from their, their engineering team, their leadership team, marketing and design, finance options, concierge, outbound sales, human resources. It's really interesting that for uh, a wine website, you know, it just shows what type of product we're really looking at here it doesn't talk about anything uh of a wine expert right like this is truly a a product that they could just it, it's 
it's a product to them, right? It's Coca-Cola. Yeah, but not nearly as good as Coca-Cola. I mean, Coca-Cola is delicious, right, Troy? Oh, so this is RC. I'm sorry. It's not even that. It's like it's uh, Kirkland. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. So um, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into what would happen if we actually purchase these wines. So how it works from the research I've done is you order these wines, you get them in the mail, and each wine comes with basically like a little survey card for it. Um, you say what you like about the wine, what you don't like about the wine, so on and so forth. I assume that you put those answers back into the website so that the next box of wines they send you is even more dialed down to your preference. But kind of playing off of what Jeffers was talking about, what's actually happening is these guys are making all of this wine themselves, right? So let's say they're Pinot Noir, for example. If they send the Pinot Noir to a bunch of people and everyone on the comment card says, I wish it had more fruit. Right. Next time Bright Sellers goes to make the Pinot Noir, they're probably going to make it taste like it has more fruit. Um, that's such a crazy business model. So this guy in, uh, in an article, one of the founders, he said, a key part of Bright Sellers business model and strategy is constant data collection, asking customers to review wines delivered to their home. That feedback-based model differs from the way wine is traditionally bought and sold. He says it's so strange that wine as an industry just doesn't have a tradition of doing this. It would be crazy in any other industry to say, we don't know what the customer wants, and we're just going to make it the way we want to make it. I think that that's a horrible simplification of why certain wines are made that the, the way they are. Well, yeah, from our perspective, we're looking at, I mean... From a, I mean, I, this could be viewed as a pretentious, um, you know, uh, lens. But you know, we we enjoy wines that you you kind of take what nature gives you, right? You don't want a cookie cutter product like like Kirkland can produce on a mass scale, which is what they're doing. We're tailoring our wine for for the flavors of the people who are buying them, right? Like I understand that concept. But I think that's part of the fun thing with wine is everything's always a little bit different. Each vintage is going to give you something different. Um, you generally want to have something similar. But the scale that they're talking about, I mean, for instance, the, the Folk and Fable wine, right? So maybe some of the feedback they got was, man, I'd love more vanilla in this wine. And they could have said, you know what? We're, we're going to take that feedback and now we're going to age the wine in bourbon barrels, which is what it states. So they're, they're really kind of manipulating these wines and not making it wine, and they're more making it, you know, a, a, a mass rep, uh, repeatable formula. That's like the elimination of terroir. Totally. Well, I don't – so we can go down this rabbit hole a little bit longer, but what I want to talk about is so what? And what I mean that is not to be flippant or not to be dismissive, but – are the people that are buying this product and if they are enjoying this product, are they part of the population that was going to buy and enjoy uh, what we consider to be classic and good wine anyway? Or are they a totally different population and we shouldn't really concern ourselves with how they make themselves happy? No, you're right about that. Um, taking a step back, I understand that this website is designed and geared towards what I would 
maybe consider novice wine drinkers, entry-level wine drinkers who are wanting to get a bottle of something friendly, something easy to drink, something that's a little whimsical and fun, which is perfect, right? Like, I don't think any of us would disagree that the more wine drinkers we can get involved um, is going to be better for everybody in the wine industry. You know, it's our job to promote that and to champion that. Um, you know, we're, we're a little further along with our palate and what we enjoy. So, yeah, of course, we're, you know, facetiously kind of shitting on this a little bit. But you're right, Jeffers. I mean, at the end of the day, so what? People are going to be drinking wine. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like we're selling a higher-end product or we get more enjoyment out of selling a higher-end product. So that's that's where our perspective is really coming from with this, which is why it's kind of interesting. I think Laura, like, really did a great job picking out this first topic of what the sommelier perspective is on something like this that personally reflects our views. Well, that being said, to counterpoint my point that I just made is, yes, this is fine, as long as this doesn't gain so much critical mass that it starts to become a force in it within the industry. And literally, vineyards are being gobbled up and replanted for mass market urban barrel aged sugar wines. You know, I would be interested in seeing this format utilized a little more accurately with wines of consequence. That would be cool to me, like a, a premium price point where they're not just schlepping this, you know, mass market blend stuff that they just like, you know, got some iconic brands in on the mix and, you know what I mean? Like, did it right, if you will. Because I think the format is an interesting idea, at least. Um, but I think you're all right in that it, it, we end up with like these name or the, like these faceless brands that I don't know. It is what it is. I feel like I've seen a, a few different um, wine companies that are taking this approach. Now, I'm I'm not going to say I have like a, a problem with this, but if you go to their social media, right, this is very obviously marketed towards women towards young women that's probably why i was seeing the ads for it um i think it's safe to say right not trying to make gross generalizations but a majority of young women are willfully ignorant about wine they don't care to understand the intricacies they like drinking it but they don't want to learn about it right um and so something about this kind of upsets me when you have the words like you've got words like education in your mission statement right? You're, and you have a blog. It's just so crazy. Um, with articles like three ways to use red wine in your skincare or, uh, you know, five ways to make wine popsicles. I don't like that it's being portrayed as this, you know, learn about your palate by answering these questions, right? And I would assume that most people think that a lot of these questions are based off of some sort of taste algorithm, which I don't think that they are at all. I bet you that they, they fine-tune, well, it seems like they're uh, recommending similar wines to everybody regardless of their answers, right? But they probably, it's not based in taste. The algorithm's more based in people who pick dark chocolate tend to like this wine, therefore I'm giving it to you as well, instead of what's the actual similarity between dark chocolate and this wine. The one thing that I would say, though, and we talked about this briefly, is you can be upset as a young woman and as a non-young, non-woman 
I think there's tons of people that are willfully ignorant about wine. And it's not just, while this one may specifically be marketed to the demographic you're talking about, I, there are plenty of people that will have the same interest level in wine and that their total potential for wine knowledge is very low. They still may enjoy it. They still, you know, buy lots of wine and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I would say that isolating it just to that demographic is, is wrong. And I'll ask Troy and, and uh, Daniel, I mean, you see plenty of old men who come in and just willfully, ignorantly buy the same wine, regardless of the situation and what it's pairing with. And No, I, I've, I've never witnessed that. <laughs> all, yeah, all of our guests are actually surprisingly adventurous, which is awesome. No, no, that was sarcasm. <laughs> I know we picked up on it. I mean, you, we're having we're having pan-seared grouper tonight. Oh, great! What kind of cab would you recommend? <laughs> Shit. Look, I, here's the thing: uh, the the people that programs like this are marketed to, and again, you're right. It's not just young women. There are plenty of people in other demographics that are willfully ignorant about wine, right? Um, I really have a problem again with the word education. You know, being thrown around when I don't think that their mission is to educate people about wine at all, it's to capitalize on the ignorance of these people. Right. Um, and I think it doesn't educate people to learn more about wine or appreciate wine. I think it just perpetuates another generation of ignorant wine drinkers, right? If you want approachable wine education, go to wine folly. Right. Right. It's like, and maybe people don't care to be educated about wine. And that's maybe what I'm struggling with. Yeah, but I don't think you can put on your website, this is a website for dullards who don't care about advancing their own knowledge at all. <laughs> <laughs> can you? I mean, it, it'd be an interesting, like, champ challenger marketing strategy to see if that works. But I really don't think it's going to work. Same thing, I don't think it's transformative. The reason that these MIT guys chose wine is because they know a majority of consumers have no idea what wine is what they're talking about and they can take advantage of them like this and maybe it's not taking advantage because these people are willfully well, taking it yeah i don't yeah it's it's i think you could look at it a few different ways but i i don't necessarily think it would be i would put it as taking advantage i'd be take even though i see why you say that i think it's just sort of meeting maybe their target market where they are and giving them a, a product so that they can capitalize on that market because again i i, I don't I think some people just want, they just want something to drink and they want an experience. And, you know, the thing that I don't like about these wines is that there's not really a story behind them outside of bright sellers, put them together for your experience, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily a product I would recommend to anybody, but that's not to say that it's not the right product for plenty of other people, you know? Right. That's a good point. We were talking, we were talking about like, uh, you know, I don't want to see this this company, maybe not this company, but this platform explode on a, a, a big scale. And we're talking about who they're marketing to. I really don't think it would ever get to that point. Who they're marketing to is so narrow in the grand scheme of things. What if, what if they ever get to a point where they have more than 11 wines? When Amazon buys them. <laughs> Amazon. I can, I can picture their first question. How much do you love money? A lot, a little, don't care at all. <laughs> Set it on fire. I remember... You know, Master Sommelier Michael Jordan saying one time that, you know, our guests don't care how much we know. Our guests care about how much we care. 
And I think they do a pretty good job from that quiz of building up the perception that they care psychologically about your concerns and what you like in wine. And I think that's a good thing for this company. I mean, obviously, they, they've done a really good job at pitching their product. Um, who cares how much education they have? As long as that perception is there that they care, they're going to keep selling their stuff. And it sounds like you're able like, oh, I do, you know, they even give you the option, right? Don't like Malbec? Here, click this arrow and we'll give you another suggestion. I think MJ, though, was looking for genuinely care about their... True. No, no, no. That's... That... And I don't think that this is that. I think this is cynically looking like they can care to maximize. That's what I'm saying. The, the perception that they've created, yeah. they've done a good job building that, building that trust as you click through that quiz. Yeah. So let's take it back to one of the initial questions of, of all of this, which is, can you determine someone's wine taste in seven questions? And can you determine someone's wine taste by asking them non-wine-related questions? Do you feel any different after taking this quiz? What are y'all's, y'all's thoughts on that? Troy? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I feel like generally when I'm on the floor, yeah, I can usually find out what somebody likes um, within seven questions to, to kind of like walk you through that. I mean, something that I'll usually ask is, you know, preference for red, white, sparkling, whatever it might be to get the meal started or, you know, whatever course they're on. Um, that's usually a pretty easy one for people to answer. Um, uh, followed by, you know, do they like something lighter or fuller bodied? And I usually back up these questions with examples, right? So if we're talking about red wine, I think an easy thing for people to grasp onto if they've had wine is like, are you looking for a Cabernet, something a little bit richer? Pinot Noir, you know, obviously a little bit lighter, but sparkling wine. I mean, you can do champagne as a little bit of a, a richer example or even Prosecco for a, a lighter expression of sparkling wine. Um, you could even lateral that to white wines, of course. Fruit forward versus earth. Now, that's a question a lot of people aren't really sure how to answer, but it's still something that I ask. And I don't put a ton of stock into it. If they know what I'm talking about, that's great. Um, I usually ask them after that, you know, do you have an example of a wine that you've had in the past that you really enjoy? And that's usually the biggest, most important question for myself um, if they're looking for, for a wine that's similar to that. And then I'll usually follow it up. You know, do you remember a specific wine? Some people might say, yeah, I love Rombauer, Prisoner. Like, let's just throw out the big names that people know, right? Silver Oak, et cetera. Or I might ask them, you know, do you enjoy wines from California? Is there a particular grape that you enjoyed like Pinot Noir? Or do you enjoy Prosecco? So I kind of want to get an understanding about where their grounding is. And having them, you know, if they can tell me a producer that tells me they know, okay, I, I'm a wine drinker. I know my brand. I know what I like. Some people might just say, I really enjoy California. Other people might have a particular grape um, or a particular style of wine, right? Like, like Prosecco or, you know, I want to do sparkling wine. Oh, well, sparkling wine is pretty big, you know area to to take a hold of um so i like to get a little bit more specific in asking them uh, an example of what they've had and then price is a huge thing for me uh some people are a little bit scared to ask you know what are you looking to spend tonight like that's that's a very weird question to ask when you say it like that but i think there's other ways that you can phrase it one way that i'll ask is you know is there a range that you want to stay within or something you just want to stay under 
And I've never really had pushback on that as long as you're just kind of open. You know, I'll tell them, you know, I always like to be respectful. Do you have a range that you want to play within? Do you have something that you just want to stay under tonight? Because most people have an idea. And I don't find that most people are too shy about letting me know. It's more of an appreciation that I, I receive when I ask that question. And then the last question is, you know, do you want to stick with something that you're comfortable with tonight? as far as selection, or do you want to be a little bit more adventurous? And that's what I wanted to cycle back to. Because most people say, yeah, I'm willing to be a little bit adventurous. Some people are not at all. And then others are like, yeah, you know, do whatever. And obviously, those are the really fun tables, because you can open up their eyes to something that they've never experienced before. But, you know, within seven questions, I think that was probably within it. That's usually how I try to gravitate towards getting the right bottle to the right person in addition to hopefully you've already retained the information are they celebrating what are they celebrating you know understanding and taking the pulse of the table before you even get to it all right do you ever ask questions that are non-wine related like for example how do you take your coffee or uh what's your favorite juice you know uh, do you ever ask those at the table to determine someone's wine taste and can you from those questions i don't ask those questions um, and that's not because I don't think they might be useful. It's because I, I try and limit the amount of time I spend asking questions because my goal is ultimately to distill the information as quick as possible. So it's like red or white, uh, dry or sweet body. And do you prefer fruit or earth? And then uh, I, like Troy's question. I ask that sometimes as well, which is, you know, uh, if you could recall a wine brand that you really, really love, maybe one that you buy frequently, would you mind sharing that with me? And then I can maybe match something stylistically to that. I, I feel like most guests end up throwing out a Wagner family wine or whatever it is, you know, in my experience in this country, at least it's a lot of people really love big fruit dominated wines with some oak. You know, it's, it's like, is it our job? Yes, absolutely. To turn them on to new things if they want that experience. Absolutely. But I feel like a lot of times, and especially in the format of a restaurant we work at, it's like people are going to shell out a pretty decent amount of money on a bottle of wine most people if they spend you know 150 200 on a bottle of wine they want to make sure that they're going to like it more than they're going to think it's interest an interesting adventure if that makes sense short answer is no i don't ask non-wine related questions so i'll jump in so i love that you guys ask the tell me about a wine that you've had before that you loved um, I love this question for a couple different reasons. One is that you get an idea of kind of what they're looking for, what they're comfortable with. But people will also tell you a lot, sometimes a lot about their preference for the night when you ask that question without you having to ask the hard questions that Troy's asking like about price point, without having to ask questions that are probing of their wine vocabulary because they'll volunteer it. So if you say, tell me about the last bottle of wine that you loved, a lot of times people will say, you know, well, I really love this uh, Jeannot Boulanger Mercury. And then they'll kind of look around the table and they'll say, but maybe not with this crowd. Or they'll say, the last bottle I loved was, you know, 2008 Cristal, but maybe tonight's not the night for that. And I think they'll give you very subtle clues where you can avoid asking some of those Hard, you know, uncomfortable questions about price. You can get an idea of the vocabulary that they want to use without bashing them over the head with your vocabulary and then having them look at you kind of dumbfounded. Non sequitur, the 
can you ask a question that's not related to wine and get a good answer? I think you can. And one of the answers, one of the questions that I love is, what are you in the mood for tonight? It's so open-ended. It, it, they could tell you that I'm really in the mood for a coat to bone white burgundy with some age on. Or they could tell you, I'm just looking to have something fun that goes with the salmon. And a lot of times, once again, people will tell you something about their wine knowledge and their vocabulary and their price point without you having to ask. And I think people at ease to a certain degree, if you're able to read their words that they're using, asking a question that's as open-ended as, you know, what are you in the mood for? People will give you information and tell you about what vocabulary, price point, and wine that they're looking for without you having to ask questions that could make them feel awkward if it was, you know, if you're using vocabulary that they don't understand, if you're bringing up price point when they don't want to. And I think it's, you can get a lot out of that, that question. Yeah. And, and to build on that, Chris, um, I, I think that's a really good point. And I, I feel like the series of questions that I ask are usually predicated after they give me some sort of a cue or even a response of, you know, I'm not really sure. I don't know a lot about wine where, you know, they're expected to order the wine at the table and maybe they're a little bit unsure of like how to navigate through the list. And they, they really are, are unsure. So it's like, you know, what are you looking for tonight? And they're kind of like, I fucking don't know. Help. So that's where I feel like the questions kind of come into play and can, can help steer without them looking, you know, through the pages nervously in front of their guests. Um, at, where, where it's my job to come in and facilitate that a little bit. But yeah, if, if I'm like, hey guys, what's going on tonight? You know, what are you looking to do? And then somebody's just openly giving me information, of course I'm going to take that in. I think the questions really come in when there's uncertainty at the table, which is, it's a lot more often than I had anticipated before I started working the floor in that capacity. Well, I think there's people have a, I mean, how many times have you seen a table where it's like a hot potato with who has to have the wine list? Like, I don't want to decide, you decide. I don't want to decide, you decide, because there's, People feel like there's pressure to be the person who decides the wine, you know, because they have to make sure that everybody likes it. They have to make sure that everybody at the table wants to pay for it. And so I think taking some of that pressure, taking some of that, uh, un, you know, discomfort off of people's hands is, you know, part of the service yeah, that we provide. Hop in. At my core, right? I'm a translator. That's my job right? I take in all of this technical junk, right? And I have to be able to regurgitate it to a guest in a way that they understand, right? So um, I never use words like tannin at the table, right? Try not to, right? Or acid at the table, because those are very technical terms that they don't understand. And so when it comes to questions like, how do you take your coffee and stuff? I don't often find myself using those, but I can see if you use those questions, you can figure out something about someone's wine taste by using a language that they understand, right? So I'm, I'm curious if you guys think that, um, so if you could make a quiz, right, in a similar style to Bright Sellers, do you think you would be able to make one that could determine something about someone's wine taste? No. Why not? No. So... Well, I don't understand this. All right, so let's just take the, the, the coffee example or whatever beverage you want. 
you, or take, uh, you know, candy or whatever. I mean, imagine, all right, so wine is a very complicated subject. People are intimidated by it, right? Yes. So let's take that same nervousness and apply it to a different industry. Say something like, uh, like you're, you're buying your first suit. Um, when I bought my first suit, I was buying it for the certified exam. I didn't know anything about suits. I don't know anything about sizing. I don't know anything about material. I don't know anything about you know brands. So I'm walking into this a complete novice. Now, imagine myself walking into this suit store and telling this person, hey, this is my first time buying a suit. And they're like, great. What's your favorite decade? You know, the, the 70s or whatever it might be. Perfect. What's your favorite movie? You know, I could flip a coin between Harry Potter and, and Tombstone. You know, what's your sign? Uh, I'm a Taurus. So all of a sudden, it's like he brings out this, this plaid cloak with a lapel that goes out to my shoulders. And I'm wearing a cowboy hat and boots. And he slaps a Ford emblem on my ass. You know? Like, it makes no sense to me. I don't know why we have to apply this foreign language to try to, like, have this super code of deciphering what kind of wine you want when I could ask you a whole different series of questions that are so much more direct without being pretentious. Yeah, but he, he, okay. I understand the, the suit analogy, but there are more similarities between the type of coffee that you drink and the wine that you're drinking than the type of movie you like and a suit that you're wearing, right? They both have to do with mouthfeel, right? Uh, bitterness, flavor, like all of these things, right? I mean, the question, yes. if you're you know, going at it the right way, could reveal something about the guest wine taste. So you're so you're saying if I go to a uh, a motorcycle dealership, the questions they could ask me could surround what kind of bicycle I have at home. It's still like it's it's apples to apples, but it still wouldn't direct me on what kind of motorcycle I'd want to buy. You know whether I have a, a beach cruiser or a you know a Schwinn fucking Armstrong you know speed bike. Like my my tastes are going to be totally different in what I'm looking for. Maybe I would say it's definitely a possibility, but I do think per I think these are all questions about personality, um, and I think you can read into it in some regard. You know, you can be like, oh, you know, based on what they've said to me, they're an eccentric person. They like they're showy. All the movies they like, all the you know they have. I don't know. It's I, I think you can gather information and get an idea of who they are and what they like. But I, I, I understand both sides, but I, I, I do think the, the answer is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Hmm. You know? I, I just don't think I agree with you, Troy. Because here's the thing. Most of the guests that I talk to, or not most of the guests, but some of the guests that I talk to, right? I'll, I'll, you know, you'll ask like a vague question, like Jeffers was saying, like, what are you feeling tonight? What are you looking for tonight? And they'll just start throwing wine terminology at me right uh something dry uh, something with oak and yada yada a lot of the times and this has happened to me before these people don't understand what these terms mean right they're throwing out buzzwords because it thinks that it makes them look better at the table right and i have to kind of decode what they're really trying to say to me when they don't know what they're talking about at all so sometimes that means that i have to talk to them in a way that's not wine related because they don't know anything about wine related terms or, or what dry means i mean do you mean dry in the sense that it's tannic or dry in the sense that it has no sugar right i would rather ask them that question than trying to double the code by asking them a series of questions 
about coffee or whatever you want to fill in. Like, how do you take your coffee? Okay, so you like really acidic coffee, but you know, what if they don't? You're making a lot of assumptions based off their their experience of another beverage. It's not necessarily assumptions, right? I mean, if you if you understand the taste profile of something and you can I mean, as a professional, see that it's comparable to the taste profile of a certain wine, right? You can try to draw parallels between those things. I don't think it's impossible. And I don't always think that asking non-wine related questions are, you know, totally pointless. You know what this has inspired me to do? What? It, I've been going to ask a guest what their sign is, and then I'm just oh going to bring God. them on the line. Okay, okay. And then I'm going to see what happens, because that sounds awesome. And if they give you a good answer and they know a lot about astrology, you're just going to bring them something biodynamic because they're both yeah, non-science. Exactly. Some, some natty wine, dude. I, well, I think – well, so like for me, uh, the Zodiac thing is kind of silly, but I, so many people I know and love are super into it, right? So it's like part of making an experience for them, that might be fun. That might – you know, it's like I'm probably not the right guy to bring them the bottle that's going to actually align with it, but – I feel like for the right guest, maybe that's a funny question and it makes, it's kind of breaks the ice. And then what happens when you bring them a wine they love and then they think you're actually like a wizard. I'm trying it out on your next episode. I'll tell you about uh, how it goes. Yeah. What I think is great, not necessarily asking him their Zodiac sign, but non-wine related questions can be great icebreakers, right? Because Troy, if you start throwing out words like tannin and acid, or do you mean dry in the sense of no sugar or dry in the sense of this, right? People start to get panicky, right? Or sometimes they do. I mean, not always. And it's my job to make them feel comfortable, right? Because I have to establish some sort of trust with them. And sometimes that means that I, I can't get all technical mumbo jumbo on them. Right, which is so... Ask that question again. Like, give me the example that you just gave. Oh, shit. I forgot what I said. Uh, dry versus tan. And I think that's what it right. was. Right. Okay. So someone throws out the word, I want a dry wine. Right. So that is probably one of the most confused terms that we, we receive on the floor, right. right? I want a dry wine. Whenever I get asked that question or, or, or told I want XYZ, I have no problem trying to clarify that which I also think will help foster education. So what I usually ask is, when you say dry, do you mean a wine that doesn't have sugar? You know, it's not sweet? Or do you mean a wine that doesn't dry out your mouth, like a really tannic cab, you know, where it's like a cotton ball kind of took all the saliva out? And 99% of the time they go, yes, I don't want that. So that automatic, like, there's no problem. And I feel like that builds an element of trust, right? I'm supposed to be the expert in this, in this restaurant. I'm supposed to be the wine guy. And I think asking that question of clarification, because you can kind of read a table, you can somewhat tell when a novice has come across your point in the night. And when you ask that question, oh, do you mean this? Or do you mean, you know, that tannic sensation where it's a cotton swab or, or whatever, what have you, kind of drying out, taking all the saliva in your mouth. And they usually make that like bitter beer face, like, oh, yeah, I hate that. I don't want that. Perfect. Now you and I have a common language that we can speak. Right. But what you did is you took something that wasn't wine related and used it to describe or convey understanding of, of tannin. In turn, though. You said cotton balls, Troy. I heard it. No, Totally. Totally. But that's something that they can relate with 
and educate them at the same time rather than asking, hey, do you like a tea that sat on your counter for eight days and it's really tannic? Or do you like your tea without sugar? Okay. Yeah, I see the difference. I think it also, it, it does two things. It answers the question and it also educates them to where they understand, okay, dryness means this. And, and this person kind of sniffed that out for me instead of giving me a wine that I'm going to hate. Right. Yeah, I think that fosters trust too. It gives them something to arm themselves with the next time they are at a restaurant. And I think certain guests will recognize, you know, you've given them more value than they were walked in expecting from you. I mean, I couldn't imagine somebody doing the coffee thing in a restaurant and then that person thinking, oh, I like my black coffee with two sugars and a splash of cream. And then they go to the next restaurant and say, you know, I want a wine that tastes like two sugars with a splash of cream in my coffee. The person's going to look at him like, what the fuck did you just say? I like, I I don't know why, but I want that guest every time. What? Well, I, I, I think it'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> I often hear people um, uh, when they're trying to talk about body in a wine, right? Some people will equate it to types of milk, right? So do you like skim milk, whole milk, or heavy cream, right? Trying to, to gauge uh, the viscosity level or like the intensity uh, that people like. Do you think that that's bogus? Yes, for the uh, for the for the drinkers like the let's take the the old white man example that Weber gave a second ago, Daniel. You know, imagine the guy coming in and he's ordering Camus every time. You think he's drinking, you know, heavy whipping cream with his cereal that morning? Well, no, <laughs> yeah. right? Actually, I do think he's that's exactly what he's doing. I mean, he might take a bath in it, but I don't think he's eating it with his cereal. Oh my god! Well, it, sweetened oh, condensed okay. milk on your cereal. <laughs> so good. That sounds great. And I'm also now that you say that yeah. upset that when they asked us the tea question, that Thai tea wasn't an option because Thai tea is delicious. Well, so let me ask a different question, and that is the initial question was, can you get to someone's wine taste in seven questions? What we learned from Bright Sellers is no matter what you answer, they're going to ask you question number two is going to be the same and question number three is going to be the same. What if questions two, three, and up to seven were based on the answers that you gave earlier? Could you then deduce something about what people want? Because based on the first question, the second question that you ask, which is, I think, what all three of us, all four of us said that we would do at a table, what if the second question is based on the answer to the first question? So that you're kind of drilling down into what they want rather than just going up like a novice server and saying a lot of people like it, you know, asking the same seven questions to every table, regardless of how they're coming across. Yeah, I, I think that'd be really interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, as long as you're taking care of the guests and, and they're having a good time, that's ultimately what, it, what I care about. Obviously, I'm being strongly opinionated about this um, because it's the way that I operate on the floor. But there's, there's plenty of ways to skin a cat. What you I know. think is interesting about uh, kind of going back to Bright Sellers is, uh, look, the quiz is bogus, right? I think we can all agree on that, right? I, I, I bet a lot of the fine-tuning your wine taste isn't coming from the quiz, but after you buy that first box, right, and you taste those wines, you say, I liked this about this and I didn't like this about that, right? And that, that way, the second box is, is more catered towards your taste, 
Right. Because honestly, I think Troy is right. I don't think you can tell a lot about somebody's wine taste by asking them if they like grape juice or not. But I think that they're sending out, because we got a lot of the similar wines, they send out these wines, right? And then we taste them and then review them. And then that's when you really kind of gauge what people like and what people don't. Yeah, but going back to your point from before, are they changing their selection for you or are they changing their wines, how they make their wines going forward? I think it's both. I think that they're going to fine tune the production of the wines moving forward, for sure. You know, one thing that I find interesting about this, I mean, who's their demographic again? Who do we discuss being their their key audience? It's young women. Perfect, right? So I'm on a website called sitejabber.com looking at reviews of bright sellers. Out of 103 reviews, they have two and a half stars from their own demographic. Value is, yeah, two and a half out of 10 return on value or returns. I'm not really sure what they're keying in on there but it's two out of five stars and then quality is three out of 10. Returns means can you send the wine back if you don't like it? No, just freeze it into ice cubes. <laughs> per per a, an article on their blog, they say you could take leftover wine, freeze it and use it to chill wine in the future. One of the things that Troy said, I'll take it completely verbatim if I may, and Troy, you can correct me. You said, it really doesn't matter as long as you're taking care of the guest. So let's ask this question, go around the table. Is Bright Sellers taking care of the guests? Doesn't sound like it from the review points. No, I don't think they are. Is that a controversial statement? Do you want to expand upon that? Um, I think they're taking advantage of an opportunity they saw in the market. I don't think they're approaching it from an organic head set space where it's like, I really love this about wine and I really want to serve these people the perfect wine. I mean, I, I went through the suggestions it gave to me and I clicked on it, said, no, I don't like this suggestion. Give me another. And I did that enough times to where it didn't give me that prompt anymore. Uh, and they have a total of seven or eight different wines in their bank of wines to, to pitch to you, which to me indicates they're not actually trying to serve people They're They just picked like, oh, these eight wines are very popular. Uh, we can make margins on them and let's just brand them up and then find a cute way to to get people to buy them. I, I, I think it's really apparent that that's their sort of methodology. It's going back to what Jeffers corrected me on and what I was trying to convey was, you know, our guests care about their being taken care of essentially, right? So, and and as we kind of pointed out, the perception in the beginning is that they are taking care of you, but the reality is they're not. So, you, so you're able to be sucked into this wormhole only to realize it's a collapsing star. Right, exactly. It feels empty. Right, and I think that's what, what bothers me about this is I bet a lot of the people who take this quiz, they think that the people who are behind it are people in wine, are people who understand wine, right? And they feel like they're getting a customized experience based on their taste. And they've done a really good job of creating a website that kind of drives that perception. But when you really dig into it, that's not what it is. And I wonder if a lot of the consumers, if they found out really what this is or how it's being operated, if they would still think the service is legitimate or not, right? And that it, it opens the question of, do people care if it's legitimate or not? I don't know. I, I have a problem with putting education in your mission statement. And then again, on your blog, uh, saying uh, nine wines to drink based on your Starbucks order. Okay, I'm. I, it's like you've totally lost me there. <laughs> I love Starbucks. You can make sure that ends up in the final cut. 
White chocolate, grapefruit juice, and Starbucks, everyone. Sounds like you're drinking conundrum. It's interesting because based on the total number of wines that they have, which we think is probably very low, is this a business model that's built on long-term guest satisfaction or is it a novelty item where you're just trying to skin the cat once then assuming that a bunch of people are going to churn yeah it's it it sounds like it's a one and done type membership for a lot of people um just off the reviews and once those reviews begin to stack up i think you'll lose that skin the cat once model you need to change your model or or get some education and figuring out how to get some trust but we must be wrong about that because they just got four million dollars in funding does that mean that money is money is too cheap I don't understand it. How many times can you get this box if they only have nine wines? That's my that's my thing is, and well, obviously you pointed out they're going to continue to generate new wines, but this is a four-year-old company. In four years, they haven't been able to come up with more than 13 total wines. This smells a lot like a, a 2020.com type website where you're just waiting for it to bust. Well, hopefully this podcast will accelerate that. Well, what if they may, what, maybe they'll sponsor a box and we can do a little blind taste or something? Shit, man. If they reach out to us, I'm going to freak out. I'm not going to. You can give them my name. Well, that I, I think it would be interesting if I if I purchased my six wines and we tasted them. Man, I'd rather blind taste of Mike Tyson punch to the dome. Yeah, couldn't we, couldn't we just taste uh, the first six wines we come across on the bottom <laughs> shelf at Fry's? Oh, my God. You guys, seriously, we're going to get in trouble talking like this. Um I just I can't believe the level that, the level to which the deception goes right. What Jeffers pointed out earlier, which yeah. is so funny, is each wine has its own website. Like each winery for each wine has its own website, but it only has the one or two wines on there that are made under that name, and it's very obviously run by bright sellers. I, it, well, the websites don't look like any effort was put into them. Like you look at the the caliber of the Bright Sellers website, and then these other ones look like a simple HTML. What I did freshman year in high school, you know. Right, and and that's what's so crazy. Like they are really playing off the ignorance of people. They're banking on the fact that these people right. are not going to go up and look up where is Cactus Park, who's the winemaker for Cactus Park, right? Is it biodynamic? Is it organic? They're banking on the fact that you don't care about that. And he, one of the owners, is quoted. He goes, "We're not getting a lot of wine snobs." We're not for the person that's spending $40, $50, $100 on a Napa Cabernet. That's not our customer. We're much more interested in the customer who has the same experience we have, which is zero. Very obviously zero. So I added that in at the end. He didn't say that. but Boom. Yeah, it feels a little used carsman salesman-y. 100%. These guys have degrees in tech and marketing. And that's really what this company is. I wasn't going to get this opinionated about it, but... I, didn't you say it was an opinionated podcast? It, it, it is, but I, 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 I worried about, I don't want to just shit on this company, right? That's not what the goal of this was. No, but they've made it, it that it way. It bothers after. me. Preach. And again, this guy has another quote in this article where he's like, the wine industry has yet to be disrupted by data and technology. Like when you're talking about that and you want to say, oh, it just really bothers me. I want to educate a generation of wine lovers. Uh, really? Let me check that pulse, Laura. Yeah, I was going to say, do you need a little glass of conundrum to bring you down? <laughs> All right. This is not going to make it into the final cut, but yeah. Okay. Let's just go around. Final thoughts on the service. Is it a good service? Would you recommend it? Was it what you expected, Troy? 
honestly, it was what I expected, but I, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Daniel? Uh, you know, I was wish wishfully hoping it would be better than it was. Um, that's sort of the line I generally take. I give people the benefit of the doubt, but after taking it, it's hard not to just feel like it's a smoke and mirrors and I feel taken advantage of, and I would not recommend it to anybody. I can just see Daniel wearing that plaid cloak right now. What plaid cloak? The one that I got from the suit store you went to? Exactly. Yeah. All right, Jeffers. Uh, I'll preface this by saying I know that there are a lot of services out there that basically market a wine club that is only private label wine, so it's impossible to determine the actual value of them. I think they are trying to differentiate themselves from all of these other services in a way that makes the uh, the user feel educated and transformed. But in the end, it is certainly no better. And in the way that it's being kind of flippant towards its guest needs, I think it's probably even worse. Yeah, I would say my final thoughts are this service is good for people who don't know anything about wine and don't care to know anything about wine and just want wine conveniently dropped off at their door. If you actually want to be educated about wine, if you actually want wines that are truly tailored to your taste, this is not the service for it. I almost don't even want to call it a service. I want to call it clickbait where they ask you a host of questions and then try and pitch you wines. It doesn't feel like I'm getting anything except for pressured into buying wines within a six minute window. But then when the the clock runs out, it's the wines are still available. Right. Yeah. My clock went down. I can still check out. Is this what making the, the wine industry even muddier and murkier because you have all these negative reviews and maybe it's due to customer service, but maybe a lot of these people, it's like these wines just suck ass and it says it's supposed to taste like X, Y, and Z. And, and honestly, I mean, because of the quality or the lack thereof, you know, I don't like this because, you know, it's, it's one of those things where when you work on the floor, right, you might make a recommendation. Somebody says, I don't like Merlot or I don't like Zinfandel or I don't like fill in the blank, Riesling, whatever it might be. And my thought in my head is it's not that you don't like XYZ. It's that you don't like bad XYZ. And I think this is promoting that, that hatred of whatever somebody has a perception that they don't like. And, and you know, to, to a guess, you know, respecting a guess, maybe they really don't like it. And I'm totally good with that. But in my mind, these types of wines are the ones that develop these perceptions that always make me want to challenge that a little bit. And I have. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You know, if somebody says, you know, I'm thinking about these three wines, what do you recommend if it's BTG? And I'll bring out, you know, two of those selections along with something they told me they didn't like. And sometimes they pick that one. It's like, holy shit, I didn't realize I liked Zinfandel. Well, you, you just don't like bad Zinfandel. Right. And I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier, that I think services like this perpetuate an uneducated generation of wine drinkers. It's 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 not doing anything to make they, they claim that they're making wine more approachable. Maybe you could say that they're getting more people to drink wine, but I, I don't think this does anything to educate people about wine or make them understand wine more. Um, totally. Yeah. Uh, it's a little deceptive, in my opinion. All right. Well, I think that that's going to do it. Does anyone else have anything to say that you want me to edit in? Thank you, Laura. Good luck in post-production. Thanks. Yeah. What is this, like five hours of footage? I'm just, footage. 
I'm recording. Um, yeah, that was great. Uh, and that's going to conclude the first ever episode of the Liquid Courage podcast. Thanks again to Troy, Jeffers, and Disbelieving Jesus for joining me. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate your insight. Thanks for having us. Uh, and I'm excited for us to do this again. Absolutely. Sounds great. Yeah. Look forward to it as well. Awesome. All right. And uh, cut. Is that what I say? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that was fun, guys. Thanks. Great job moderating. It was fun. Join us next time uh, where we'll be discussing what makes a good wine list. Can't wait. You say gain weight or can't wait? Can't wait. Uh, I was like, wait, what? I'm confused. Daniel, gain weight. Sweet. <laughs> All right. Okay. Is it going to take us two weeks to get everybody to get on a call again or are we going to figure out a date? Yeah.